back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's big show, where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news of the week. Ah, how is it going out there? Because it, as always, it's a crazy week when you're covering Bayern Munich. But this is just an insane stretch that the club is in right now in terms of big games. Bayern Munich, of course, came off of last week's Union Berlin match where everything was really at stake, at least for this juncture of the season. Bayern Munich needed to come out and have a big performance against one of the other top of the table teams. And they did just that, a really dominant showing. And, you know, I don't know if you're a Bayern Munich fan, how you didn't come out of that impressed with how they handled the situation. You fast forward to this weekend, you see VfB Stuttgart. Uh, which I did a preview show on. If you get a chance, check that out. But again, this is a team that's it's mired toward the bottom of the table, but it's mixed in between these two huge games. It's the classic look-ahead game for Bayern Munich, and I think that a lot of fans out there are just hoping that Bayern can stay focused and avoid looking past Stuttgart to the monster game next week against PSG. And I think that's going to be one of the things that will be really in focus for Bayern Munich. How does the team stay focused when you come off the huge emotions of last weekend, being able to get by Union Berlin, essentially putting the tie at the top of the table now just between Bayern and Dortmund and and pushing Union Berlin out of the mix, at least at this point. Having to face off with Stuttgart, a team that's scuffling, struggling, has a couple of really talented players, but just hasn't gotten it together this year. And then having to rebound from whatever the result is this weekend to get focused back on PSG, one of the mega powers of the world. And I think that's where I'm going to start today. And that's why it's just a key moment for Julian Nagelsmann in his coaching career. And listen, he won't be defined by whatever happens if PSG goes into the Allianz Arena and they're able to take Bayern Munich down, at least by a goal differential that allows PSG to move forward, it won't be the end of Julian Nagelsmann's tenure at Bayern Munich. It won't be the end of his career. But there is no denying that this is a key juncture for him. He has had to take the team, get it refocused after Borussia Mönchengladbach, the disaster that happened there and losing that game 3-2. Ride the emotional high of last weekend's win over Union Berlin. And then we get to this weekend where in past times, this might be a match where Bayern Munich might peek ahead. They might not be totally focused on a team like Stuttgart sitting in 16th place at the table, or I'm sorry, 15th place. Uh, It could be a situation where you see PSG off in the distance and you get your mind solely focused on that. And that will be Nagelsmann's biggest task. How does he line the team up? Who does he start? Who does he rest? How does he get whatever collective he puts out in the field to focus on the task at hand and get them through Stuttgart and maintain some sort of momentum heading into the PSG match? Nagelsmann has to not just figure that out, but then he has to turn around, prepare for PSG, and he's going to have to do so without Benjamin Pavard because I think if you ask me at this point, if Nagelsmann had his druthers, he would definitely use a back three against PSG. I think he would love to roll out Upamecano, Delict, and Pavar as that back three and have a little bit of security there and some steadiness in front of Jan Sommer, but he's not going to be able to do that. 
Because if Nagelsmann's going to look at his best 11 to face PSG, it's only going to include those two center backs that will be eligible for the match, DeLict and Upamakano. Pavard's a red card suspension. While I feel like it was a completely integral part of Byron's game, game one win in this tie, uh, it does hurt them for this leg. And by all means, like if you look at Pavar and how he played and the edge that he played with and how he took Neymar, among other players at PSG, off their game with the way he played, it was brilliant. And, you know, I talked a little bit about it before with how Pavar has – he's been really a lightning rod in the Bayern Munich fan base. Some people totally dislike him. Some people love his versatility. And, and I feel like I'm kind of in this section where – I have always thought he was a really, really good talent. And I always kind of thought, too, that he was out of place playing right back. But for someone that was out of place, I thought at worst he was steady. Sure, he had his mistakes here and there. But you'd be hard-pressed to find any Bayern Munich player over the past three to four years that hasn't had at least a couple of bad stretches where they were inconsistent, uh, where they were playing mistake-prone, where they had poor decision-making. Even people like Thomas Muller, Yashua Kimmich, they have battled through those things. So I don't really come down on Pavar as being any type of letdown since he transferred to Bayern Munich. I think he has been one of the absolute most key players for Bayern this season. And with the way his contract is headed and the uncertainty surrounding that, I think he's a player who the club would miss if he opts to move on this summer. I know he's got one more year after this left on his deal, but ultimately Whatever happens with his future, he's going to have to sort that out. And, you know, the most recent reports indicate that Pavar is going to be a player that, that Bayern Munich is going to at least attempt to retain. And, and it doesn't sound like at this point that Pavar is 100% against that either. But either way, he is not going to be available for PSG. And Bayern is going to have to battle past that. They're going to have to account for Kylian Mbappe, who should be healthy. They're going to have to account for Lionel Messi who will be healthy. Neymar, as much as I'd like to believe he's going to miss the match based on the injury reports that we saw, it wouldn't shock me if he somehow was healthy enough to play the match. So anything is possible in this day and age of sports medicine. Uh, I know it would be a long shot for Neymar, but uh, with everything on the line for PSG, I mean, this great experiment that they did in pulling together Mbappe, Messi, and Neymar, I don't think they want to view this as a failure just yet. I know Messi's future is a little uncertain. Neymar has been linked to a move to Chelsea. Even Mbappe has been rumored to be interested in a move to Spain. So this whole thing that they have put together, it's all predicated on taking these three tremendous players and creating a Voltron-like monster machine that is going to rip through the Champions League. And it has not worked out like that at all. So everything for PSG comes down to this match at the Allianz Arena. Bayern Munich, on the flip side, has a very important, really important mission of its own. I mean, this is a club that did not achieve what it should have last season. This is a coach who is under the microscope, who needs to show that he can get his team to perform in a big moment, that he doesn't out-tinker himself or out-think himself. He has to be solely focused on getting past PSG once Bayern Munich gets to that game. And and sure, a lot of people will say you're making too much of it, but for Nagelsmann, it is absolutely key. And as I said before, it's not going to cost him his job. 
but he has to start to prove himself that he's going to be able to take this type of team, this world power type of squad at Bayern Munich and push them over the edge. This, this individual roster for Bayern Munich is not perfect. It is loaded with talent, but players within the roster are having some up and down seasons. Alfonso Davies has not been as at his best. Matthijs De Ligt had a bit of a slow start, but has really turned it on. Upa Meccano had some iffy moments early in the season, but has turned it on. Kimmich has been up and down at times. Leon Goretzka has been up and down. It has not been very fluid. So Nagelsmann's going to have to go out. He's going to have to pick his best 11 for this particular match. And he's going to have to convince them that they have the ability to hold off PSG and advance onward. How he does all that, who the hell knows? I'm very interested to see how it works out. I think that Nagelsmann really does have great coaching ability. I think he's really innovative, and I think he's got a lot of good ideas for how he wants to run a team. Uh, he's gotten a lot more say in the transfer policy, and he has had the flexibility to play formations that maybe Bayern Munich wasn't comfortable with in the past. And this is all great for him. I think it's all great because it allows him to basically fail or succeed on his own merit. And that's what I've always, always called for with Nagelsmann is give the guy a chance to do what he wants to do. And if he fails, then he fails. But right now he's pushed this team forward in a very good manner. He has them in a very good position. And I think they're going to do extremely well against PSG. I don't know that it even represents uh, that it will represent a win. It could be a draw. But I do think he's going to push them forward and get them on to the next round. It's not going to be easy, but I think Nagelsmann right now is finally getting a handle on how to use this particular group of players. And I do think that once Pavar comes back, I think we're going to see him settle into a back three. And I'm very interested to see how the team responds to it. And that'll lead us right into another point that I think was a huge talking point over the last couple of days. And that was uh, the story that broke about Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry sort of being on thin ice at Bayern Munich. And this is something that I had speculated on a couple of weeks ago. When you just look at the roster and you start to plan forward and you start to factor in things like Nagelsmann's preference to play a back three, something has to give. You can't retain all of that talent. And in particular, all of that talent to play wing positions that might not even be of use to Nagelsmann anymore. If Bayern's not going to play a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1, players like Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, uh, Sadio Mane, and Kingsley Coman, their futures are at least somewhat in doubt. Now, when you look at Mane, he has played enough centrally in his career to where you can see how Bayern might be able to make that work. When you look at Coman and his ability to play a wingback role, and also play centrally as an attacking midfielder, you can see how they can make it work as well. Sané and Gnabry are two players who absolutely can play in that centralized attacking midfield role. And I think both would prefer to actually play there. Now, Sané to me is a more dynamic winger than he is an attacking midfielder. Gnabry is more of a second striker than anything. I think they are both uh, absolutely good wingers. I think they're world-class players at the wing position. But if that position is no longer going to be in play, something does have to give with the amount of salary that those two eat up and with what they could draw on the transfer market. I mean, 
Leroy Sané was hailed as someone that was going to come to Bayern Munich and he was going to be able to provide that next generation to follow Frank Ribéry and Arjen Robin. Sané has been very good and I don't think we should really deny that. Like it, and anything I say is not to really uh put him down or anything like that. He has been a very good pickup for Bayern Munich. Short started slow. He didn't really click with Hansi Flick right off the bat. Had some attitude issues. But then I think Flick ultimately drew the best out of Sané. Got him to be more defensive-minded. Got him to be more flexible offensively. And I think we really started to see Leroy Sané evolve into this great, flexible, attacking offensive weapon that could not just dominate teams out on the wing, but also move in centrally and create offense for himself and others that way as well. Uh, Sure, does he have too much of a reliance on his left foot? Absolutely. And he probably always will. But I think Sané has done something with his career and turned it in such a way that he has become a better player at Bayern Munich. Of late, however, his performances have been up and down, which we have seen him do from time to time in the past. There are days when he looks absolutely dominant. There are other moments where he doesn't look that good at all. But in the end, when you assess his overall game, he has gotten better at Bayern. He is still a world-class player. But how many world-class players can you fit into a formation that really might only have three attacking positions? Uh, it, it seems like no matter how Nagelsmann lines this up, whether it's two strikers and one attacking midfielder or two attacking midfielders and one striker, it's just three. When you factor in that that Bayern is using Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting as a really a target man at this point. He's almost never going to come out of the lineup. You have Jamal Musiala, who has gotten the hashtag Musiala always starts, a designation from Nagelsmann. And then you have a whole hell of a lot of players for that third and final spot. And that's where it gets tough because Thomas Muller has been invaluable in my mind this season. I think he was very good. And the benching that he took after coming back from injury, I thought was unnecessary and unwarranted. I think his effectiveness on the pitch really can't be disputed. And you could see that last weekend at Union Berlin. At some point, it does have to turn over. At some point, he's going to lose his role. But I don't think it's at this point right now. You want to look at where Mane fits into this? Sadio Mane, I, I don't know how it will work with him. I, I don't know how Nagelsmann handles that. Does he take some time from Chupo Moting? Does he play for Chupo Moting? Ultimately, he's probably going to take Thomas Muller's position. It's it's really a fascinating subject to look at when you try and find a way to use all of that talent. And that's why when I saw this story with Sané and Gnabry, it did strike a chord with me because I had thought about it quite often. And I do think that at this at some point this summer, Sané and Gnabry are going to sit down with their respective agents. They're going to sit down with Bayern Munich and they're going to look at the long-term plans for the club with the club they're going to say like am i going to project to be a starter in the next two years is this some is this a situation that's trending to where i'm going to be a bench player and i think if there's any indication that either sane or gnabry is not going to be a regular in that lineup that there's going to be a major major issue and that uh the possibility will be there that both players could move on. And and I, I do think there's a lot of validity in what was reported. I think that those two players obviously have high standards for themselves. They think highly of themselves and they think they deserve to be starting players. And they're probably right. 
But at Bayern Munich, there is just an overflow of starting caliber players. And at some point, Nagelsmann's going to have to work in some of these young attackers as well. I mean, how long can you keep Paul Vonner and, and Arian Ibrahimovic and players like that uh, really tied down to either playing with Bayern Munich 2 or just being used in training? Uh, there's going to have to be something, some kind of turnover to allow those types of players to get time as well. So if you really are a huge Sané fan and if you're really a huge Gnabry fan, both of those players have been reluctant to play wingback roles, which I think is has differentiated Kingsley Coman from those two because he is willing to play that role. And it, it seems like Coman from a guy that was primarily used was that was primarily used as a winger over the course of the last few years. I mean, he's shown that he'll play wing back. He can go up top of the formation if needed. He can play that inside attacking midfield role and he can really do all of them effectively. So with me, when I look at this, Coman is a player and, and I should also mention he's come up huge a couple of times. He is really shown to be clutch so when I look at all of this, I do question where players like Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry are going to fit in. I would throw Sadio Mane into the mix, but it appears that he has such a high cash with the club in terms of what his status is and how Nagelsmann views him and how Brazo views him that he's almost untouchable. So I think when he is fully back to 100%, he's going to push his way back into the starting lineup no matter what, even if he might not deserve it. So he's going to get the edge. Coman's flexibility is going to give him the edge. Muller is a veteran. Uh, he is a lifer. I, I don't think unless he wants to move that he will move. Uh, again, like he'll be another player that will assess his own situation. If he doesn't like it, He th- there will be no shortage of clubs that could find a role for him. Uh, but the two most likely players that that I've been looking at and that, that were reported upon this week, Leroy Sané and Serge Gnabry, they could be. Uh, entering their final months with the club. And that will obviously be something we follow at BFW. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about how Nagelsmann could use those players moving forward if he does shift to a back three and what it would mean for them. What kind of roles would they have and how could they compete with some of the other players in those roles? So, yeah, it's it's very interesting to see how this is playing out because when you have that much talent, there's just something that always has to give. And I've, I've, I know I like, listen, aside of the Gravenberg complaining to the media story, which you guys always call me out on for mentioning. And I did it just to keep the streak alive right there. But aside of that, one of the other things I really have harped on over the years is that Bayern Munich has a lot of talent, but it seems to be really bundled in certain areas. And that wing position is one of those where I think it's always a matter of time before something blows up and someone gets mad and complains. So uh, we'll see what happens. But that that report did not shock me at all. One of the other big stories of this week, and this was something that it's again, it's a bigger picture type deal. And it was the news that Eric Maxim Chupomoting is about to double his salary and sign an extension with Bayern Munich. We had heard that this was getting close. We had heard that Chupo wanted to to re-up his deal. You know, despite him having interest from other parties, he was very interested in remaining a player for Bayern Munich. It was always going to be really a situation where what could Bayern offer him? And as it turns out, they could offer him a whole hell of a lot because he's about to double his salary, which I think will push him into 
the 10 million per season category. Uh, and again, I'm not positive on that. That has been the number that has been speculated. Uh, it wouldn't be shocking if if Chupo is making 5 million euro per season right now. Uh, to double that for next year, to me, it's a little bit of a calculated gamble. Is that going to prevent Bayern Munich from going out and exploring other longer term options at striker? Uh, it might. Uh, but again, it, they're not going to have to pay any type of transfer fee for Chupo. And it does buy them another season to kind of get their ducks in a row. Now, the one thing that I think would be concerning if you were, if you're a Bayern Munich fan is when I say it buys them a season, it buys them a season without really another top level striker. Like you don't have Robert Lewandowski or Harry Kane or someone of that ilk. Uh, now, Harry Kane is an interesting name because he has been rumored to be on Bayern Munich's radar for months now. And I think reality probably has settled into Bayern Munich that's going to be very difficult to to get him. And I think that they would still you know, show interest in Kane if he were to become available. If he had any reciprocal interest in Bayern Munich, I think they would find a way to make that work money-wise. But I think what this move did with Chupo was really just push off having to to find a top tier striker another season. And what it told me, and this might not be how everyone else perceived it, was that Bayern Munich's not going to invest in a striker next season. They're going to rely on this scoring by committee type of setup, which has been successful this season. Whether that can be sustained over the course of next year I don't know. I mean, we do have Chupo, who at 33 has been very, very good this season. And there's no denying that. And it's not a knock on him to say he's not a top level striker. I mean, there are only a handful of them in the world. But I do think that at 33, it's a very calculated risk by Bayern Munich to to put all of their ducks in a row for next season on Chupo. Uh, I think there are some younger strikers that are out there. I think that there are some players that could be on the market that could be interesting for Bayern Munich, but either way, they're all going to cost money. And I think that that was the biggest thing with Chupo. He, yes, he might cost them 5 million euro to double his salary, but there was no transfer fee they were going to have to pay. What it kind of told me in a lot of ways too, is that they are gearing up to do something big in the summer of 2024. And whether that means a run at Florian Wirtz, which is something we have seen rumored, whether it means Harry Kane, maybe a return for Robert Lewandowski, uh, maybe some type of run at Erling Holland when he becomes available, when the next release clause outage comes in his contract, uh, Dusan Vlahovic, there's another name that we've seen. Uh, these are all very interesting names, but they're all going to cost a lot of money. And if you commit to Chupo for another season, if you can keep your other costs, uh, other costs controlled, if you can make some money in selling off players like Leroy Sané or Serge Gnabry, if they want to leave, um, or even Benjamin Pavar, it's a time where Bayern Munich could start to really build that war chest. And they could be ready for 2024 where they might have to spend nine figures to go and get the person they want. I mean, I think by a lot of accounts, if you're looking at where Nagelsmann is trending with this whole back three, it is not out of the realm of possibility that he's viewing this long term, that the back three is the way he wants to go. And he wants to employ those two attacking midfielders. One, of course, would be Jamal Musiala and the other being Florian Burtz. It will cost a whole hell of a lot of money to get Burtz. 
But I could see Nagelsmann having the long-term plan to do just that. And Verts is a very interesting name because his contract runs through 2027. So Leverkusen is in no rush to sell him. But if they can get nine figures for him, and if Byron is convinced that he would be a good fit next to Jamal Musiala moving forward and to lead the next generation of the club, even if, if it's a formation that some fans do not like, I think it's something they would really seriously explore. And it's kind of weird how all of that, how this Chupo move and the potential of Sané and Gnabry being on thin ice really does tie into that summer of 2024 and how the team is able to build up its finances to really make a serious run. Now, what we do know about Bayern Munich is that a lot of times when they make a big stunning move, we have no idea it's coming. Just like last summer when they got Matthijs de Ligt. That came out of nowhere. I was stunned, surprised, everything. I was in Disney World when it happened, and I was like, what the hell? Like the whole site was melting down, and I wasn't there to try and help control it. But uh, the staff that week did a phenomenal job of capturing everything about that move and how I, BFW covered it that week, and 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 I do a lot on the site, a lot of the, the the writing of things. So for me not to be there and for the staff to rally like they did to cover every angle of that, as an observer at that time, I was uh, I was really impressed. But just the whole sudden nature of it, it made it incredible, like an incredible time, but also incredibly hard for the site to cover. So if Bayern Munich follows that kind of trend. I think we'll probably head into that summer of 2024 riding a little silent. There will be not much to talk about in terms of transfers. And then Byron was going to drop a bomb that summer in terms of who they sign. And it might be early for Byron to, to go after Verts, but I think this is something that they're seriously looking at. And I think that when you look into the details of Chupo and what his future is and why Byron would make this move rather than going out and pursuing another uh, striker at this point, I think they believe Chupo can do an adequate job over the next season and a half. And that at worst, they do have some other players that they could use in that role. If Chupo gets injured or if he starts to struggle and not the least of which is Thomas Muller, but you also have players like Serge Gnabry, Matthijs Tell, even Kingsley Coman, who could fill that role, or even Sadio Mane, who I don't want to sleep on in this. There's nothing to say that Nagelsmann isn't going to roll Mane right back out and be that striker at the top of the formation. He absolutely could do that, and he could push Chupo right back to the bench. But I think that the club ultimately views Chupo as super valuable. He's a great locker room guy. He's extremely popular. And he's productive when he plays. And that's a pretty good mix. So while I might not necessarily agree that spending that type of money on him is the best move, I can see why they did it. And even if I would not have done it personally, I I see why Bayern Munich values Chupo like they do and what he brings to the table and why he could potentially be that bridge player for the next season and a half to get Bayern Munich to its next mega move. So we will absolutely follow that situation but i would keep an eye on that chupo move just because i do think it will ultimately allow byron to have some flexibility as they move forward in their squad planning the final byron related thing i'd like to talk about this week is the club's new punishment clubhouse punishment system and i i had to really it kind of made me laugh because it's always funny 
when you see a report like this, and it always comes on the heels of something else. So last week we saw that Leroy Sané was tardy and missed a, a team bus. This week we get the story that Kathleen Kruger, the team manager, had posted a new list of rules. Most of them are discipline-related rules. Be on time, be aware, be prepared. All those kind of things that if you coach any type of youth sports or high school sports, that you're always trying to impress on your players to get them to become more mature, to grow as people, and to instill some type of discipline and responsibility related to your team. It's just, it struck me as funny that Bayern Munich had to do that. And listen, Bayern is not alone. Just about every team on earth, no matter what the sport, has to have some type of team rules. Uh, It's just the way it is. You get a locker room full of men or women, very big egos, very pampered through their whole lives. A lot of them, at least in terms of the sporting aspect of their lives, it, it can get a little lax with some discipline things, discipline related things, things like being on time, being prepared, wearing whatever the proper dress code is, all those silly things. They do get annoying to coaches. And I'm sure if Sane missed the bus, that pissed off Nagelsmann. It probably pissed off Kathleen Kruger. It, it probably it probably made everyone on the coaching staff mad. And it was probably ill-timed for Sané because this is also coming at a time where there are these reports saying that he's no longer an untouchable at the club. So when you see this, it's not necessarily meaning that it's it's like free reign and it's Lord of the Flies uh, in the Bayern Munich locker room because it's not. Although I will tell you, I think Lord of the Flies is one of my all-time favorite books. I think I first read it in eighth grade and honestly have never forgotten some of the imagery and lessons that it had taught me at that time. But anyway, uh, I don't think we're quite seeing, you know, uh, Leroy Sané sticking a hog's head on a spear or anything like that, or or Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich and Goretzka and Gnabry dancing around a fire in the locker room or anything like that. Uh, I just think that, you know, there were probably some things that got annoying to Nagelsmann, probably some things that, that the coaching staff themselves did not want to have to have a big address about. They didn't want to have to take the team, yell at them and create any kind of tension that way. And this is a way to kind of diffuse all of that and to get the team to notice that discipline has been slacking, that there are some things that need to be taken care of and need to be done better. And the fines to go along with the the penalties, it's, you know, it is what it is. It's for these guys, it's, it's a drop in the bucket. And I don't anticipate any of them losing sleep if they get fined, but who, who likes to lose money, honestly. So if it helps them and encourages them to, to be on time and to be prepared, I'm all for it. Uh, I'm not going to make a huge deal about it. I thought it was kind of funny actually, because I love this kind of thing. I love when coaches, have to instill something to get the guys or get the players on board and, and on the same page. And I think it's little things like this that do sometimes help bring a team together. You know, if it's going to have them there, maybe at the facility early, you're encouraging team bonding, you're getting them to interact with each other more. It, it's it's little things like that that are the byproduct of having these kind of rules that I think really do help teams. So I'm okay with all of it. If this means Kathleen Kruger has to issue uh, fines every week and we get a chance to see like some of the internal team memos, memos of what players got fined for, I will love this even more because if it's stuff like uh, 
you know, Benjamin Pavar left his socks on the floor in the locker room, minus 1,000 euro. I will love every second of that. Uh, as for some non-Bayern Munich related things, uh, I will say I, I did watch last week's episode of The Last of Us. I've been chronicling that of late, uh, week by week, because it is one of those HBO series that gets released like that in that manner. Uh, very good episode. It gave us some background into the main characters, what's going on with Joel and the fact that, you know, he's still dealing with this injury. Uh, we are, we got a, a really in-depth look at what Ellie was doing prior to meeting Joel and how she ended up, uh, hooked up with the fireflies and, and the pathway that she was headed down in life in terms of being a, an officer in Fedra, um, really, really fascinating stuff. And it gave us a very good background on the character. I mean, of course, when you have episodes like this, you do see some people that start to, to freak out one way or the other about some of the subject matter in it. That kind of stuff is part of the storyline. And, you know, I think if it's helping make the storyline more rich and it's giving us a deeper look at the characters and what really motivates them and helps them really helps us really get to know who they are as characters. It makes the overall experience of the show that much better. I thought it was great to see how you took a character like Ellie and you put her in what looked like the quintessential, like, I don't know, to me, it looked like a 1990s, early 2000s mall where, and it, you know, obviously that's what it was, but you had some of the same attractions you had some of the same stores. I thought it was really cool to see how a person that had no knowledge of that world would step into something like a mall and react to it. Um, I mean, I, I grew up as a child of the 80s, right? So going to the mall, I mean, that was a big social event. Like we would go hang out at the mall. I guess, you know, that's typically where the term mall rats would come from. You know, we'd go into Aladdin's castle and you'd play some video games. You'd go get an orange Julius drink. You know, you would go through even, you know, when you're younger and you'd go through, there would be like either the toy stores or when I was getting a little bit older and I started to get into playing like games on a Commodore 64, you'd go into what I used to call like the computer game store, which I guess was electronics boutique and look at all the different kind of games that they would have. Um, like I really dated myself how many different ways right there, but either way, um, you know, I, I honestly, I thought it was a very good episode. Uh, it, you know, it didn't advance anything. That's for sure. Like the storyline is, is right where we left it in the previous episode, but we did get a nice, good, what I would say, look at Ellie's situation. And of course the big reveal for how she initially got bitten, which um, to me, I, I really did want to know that. So I was happy to see that. Like anything else in The Last of Us, I'm not sure that the amount of time that is spent on these flashbacks, all of it is needed. Like, I I think the flashback in that episode was was maybe a little bit too long. Um, I don't know that I needed every single detail or or how to have everything so stretched out. There was a lot of breaks in the communication and talking and all of that. But either way, it was still a very good episode. I I like how the show is going at this point. Looking forward to seeing how it concludes. I'll also definitely be checking in on The Mandalorian's latest season. I'll probably binge that early next week, I would guess. Typically, I would start that on the weekend, but I am uh, headed out to Pittsburgh with my kids as they have games out there. So I'll be driving across the state. So I will not get much time to do any of that or view any of The Mandalorian this weekend. So Maybe Sunday night, but definitely I'll be looking to get things kicked off Monday or Tuesday. Those episodes are 
pretty short and they're easy to work through. So I should be able to get through that. And I, I, I will wrap up that whole season in, in one segment rather than take it week by week or episode by episode. So um, that's about all we have for this edition of the weekend Warm Up podcast. As I stated earlier, I did the preview show for Bayern Munich versus VfB Stuttgart. Check that out. Check out the weekend warm up column, which will be on the site on Friday. We'll have some good stuff in there as well. Uh, and, you know, you can always hit me up on Twitter at the barrel blog. I love when you guys reach out and love uh, interacting with you. It's been some really good relationships that uh, I've been working on building through, through the, through that. And it's, you know, I loved getting the different perspectives. I also love when you guys shred me too. It always kind of makes me laugh a little bit. Um, the comments and some of the, the, the podcast posts that we do are always great. I love uh, getting called out on little things like the Gravenberg uh, situation. So makes me, makes me think about how many times I reference things and how I mention things and what the perception is out there. But uh, it always does give me a laugh and it is, it's the great part of doing this at BFW. We get to interact with all of you. So aside of me, you can always contact the site on Twitter at Bavarian FB works. You can get our tweet Meister, Tom Adams at Tommy Adams 71. You can get, I need no name at BFW And you can get all of our talented writers and podcasters at BavarianFootballWorks.com. Check us out. Check out our game coverage this weekend and then gear up for Bayern Munich versus PSG in the Champions League next week. Have a couple of beers on me. We will see you next time.